Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta, your host. Thanks for being with us today. For many years, companies provided health care benefits to employees and basically left it at that. But mounting costs caused five companies to form a coalition in 1983 with the goal of getting more value for all the money that was being spent on health care, not only as a benefit to the organizations involved, but to their employees as well. Since then, the Health Action Council has evolved into a much larger group of employers who use that size to negotiate for better health care options for their workers. Here to talk about how all that works is the Health Action Council's president and CEO, Patty Stark. Patty, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. You've been with the council since 2013. What brought you there? I really believe actually in the mission of the organization and the power that employers have on the impact of healthcare, both on a short-term and long-term basis for their employees and the communities in which they live. Being civically minded and leaders within the organizations, I think it's easy to get behind such a great cause. So I gave a nuts and bolts description. How did I do? Do you need to elaborate on that or do we cover it? I think we did well. Okay. Did it sound okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure that, I mean, that's pretty much an explanation of, of what the organization does, but we'll certainly delve into the details. First, about let's talk for just a moment about the size of companies you deal with with the Health Action Council. Like what's the smallest, what's the biggest, the range in the size approximately? So today, the Health Action Council members are a collaborative of employers that range typically from about 500 employees in size to approximately over 100,000 in size. So large variation. We do have a few stragglers that are under 500 employees, but mostly it's employers that all are ERISA, using ERISA regulation to offer their employees healthcare benefits. When you're dealing with, since you have this sizable difference, 500 to 100,000, is it difficult to balance all of those internal interests to make sure that everyone is well served? What I would share with you is at the end of the day, I believe that all the employers' interests really align with each other, how they have to achieve it and what resources they have within their organizations is what varies and where the needs change a little bit and or the direction in which they take changes a little bit. But at the end of the day, most employers are really looking to have healthy employees. They want their employees to thrive. They want their communities to thrive. So with that as a basis, it's about how do you achieve that? I can recall a time when employers saw healthcare as almost a burden. It was something they had to pay for, but they weren't too crazy about it. That attitude has obviously changed over the last few decades. It has been evolving. Obviously, it's still an employer, one of the employer's most expensive cost and bottom line items. However, when you really think about the retention of employees, the attraction of employees, especially after a year that we just experienced where we had really the great resignation, employers do look at their entire benefits package as a way to attract and retain those employees. And very honestly, employees' expectations have changed over time, too. It's become an expectation that their employer is going to provide health insurance. It has become an interesting thing because it used to be you just worried about, what is my salary going to be? But you hear more and more people talk about, I'm interested in my health benefits, that, that sometimes that's almost an equal role of salary and sometimes changing jobs is involved around the health benefits you receive. Absolutely. I I know that even 
as we've looked at our own team, as we've helped employers in our membership look at their benefit structures, everyone at least pretty much annually takes a step back and goes, who are we of service to from an employee step population standpoint? What's important to them? What do they need to be successful, to be healthy? And how are we going to support that? And what does our benefits have to look like to continue that support? We talked about employers paying for health care, but what about paying for health? Talk about the difference between those. It's a very big difference. So the system was really founded on the idea that employers are financing healthcare. If you go back to the original legislation in which founded and encouraged employers to get into the financing of healthcare, it's always been a financial discussion. It was actually in the beginning, even a way to differentiate themselves and to retain and to attract employees. Obviously that story hasn't changed much over the years. But if you think about healthcare financing, there's many positives to it. It adds to an employee's financial stability. It helps employees manage their financial risks across their daily lives. It also provides employees increased healthcare options and improves their healthcare outcomes when an employee gets sick. So when you think about financing, those are some really positive things that are happening. Unfortunately, it's also a very reactive situation. So when you think about healthcare financing, you're making the assumption someone's going to be getting sick. And when they get sick, they need a way to pay for it, which in some ways is a proactive model. But what's the discussion of how to keep people healthy so they don't need to utilize the system? How do we focus on the health of those individuals so that they don't have to enter the system to begin with. And that's an ultra proactive approach that allows, that encourages employers to really look at their culture, to look at the environment, to look at their even location demographically, because the more that they can promote healthy behaviors within their practice, then the need to enter into the healthcare system becomes less and less and less. So you're really then focusing on the health. And by focusing on the health, you're increasing really employees' quality of life, their everyday living. You're helping with your absenteeism rates. You're helping with productivity rates. So you're, it's just a philosophically big difference you're also promoting those healthy behaviors. So I encourage employers to look at meeting practices. Are you sitting in a meeting for three hours straight? During those three hours, do you get to get up and stretch? Do you transition some of those maybe into a walking time? How is your kitchen and your break room set up? Have you looked at them? Do they encourage friendly conversations, those old fashioned water cooler discussions? Uh, Do you have healthy snacks maybe? encouraging healthy behaviors within the kitchen and break rooms. Maybe are you located in a green space? How are you bringing the green space into maybe your employees' offices and or utilizing an external green space? I know we recently even had um, team meetings and one of the discussions after the team meeting was food selections during the team meeting that everybody was super surprised that they were really healthy options 
for snacks to meals, but they were all tasting good. (laughs) (laughs) They all managed to feel better. I had two or three employees walk into the office and go, wow, it really made a difference. And I felt good from my eating and movement patterns after our meetings. And I realized this isn't quite as hard to incorporate into my day-to-day living. I just have to change X, Y, Z. And I think I could keep that feeling going. How do you encourage um, different socialization and or connectivity, whether someone's remote or in person? Because all of those things really build on an individual's health at the end of the day. You mentioned the issue of food and meetings, but in the larger thing, you know, some employers are encouraging their employees to be healthy in terms of physical activity, encouraging gym memberships and that kind of thing. Do employees take advantage of those kinds of things? Yes, they do. In fact, Health Action Council is offering and has been offering for multiple years a Step It Up program where many of our members, as well as community partners, join together and create teams to encourage their employees to get up and to do a walk or to do movement or exercise, whether it's bicycling or swimming. We have had several of them report in that they're out there dancing and taking dance lessons even. They're walking more with their animals and even vets are, their vets are reporting back that their animals are healthier. So yes, I believe that they work. You can get a lot of excitement and engagement from your employees by offering those types of programs. We're talking about employer and employee health care with the Health Action Council President and CEO, Patty Starr. She joins us today for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Patty, employers encourage employees' independence in terms of accessing care. Is that becoming more difficult when you have big plans that, you know, that sometimes it's not, it's not so easy to get the doctor you want? We've actually been talking a lot about this recently, that not only may you not be able to access the doctor you want, but even accessing care is becoming more difficult. So we had um, multiple people share with us really across the country and across our employer population. So this isn't just occurring in one area, whether you're urban or rural, it's happening across the country right now. But when you call to make an appointment, one of the things that we're consistently hearing right now is we are now accepting appointments for December. That doesn't do me any good now. (laughs) That's not quite right now. Um, And would you prefer to have a first available appointment, a morning appointment, or an afternoon appointment? If it's first available, we might be able to see you on December 10th at 2.40. If that doesn't work, it may be January 5th at 11 a.m. So we're hearing more and more of those types of conversations. And employers have really played an important role on educating employees on where to access care, when to access care. And one of our concerns is where we've been directing them to, whether it's a primary care doctor, where you might have a long-term standing relationship, or whether it's an urgent care or retail facility, is what we're teaching actually in alignment with what's actually available in the marketplace today? So as we've been thinking about that in we've been discussing sort of this log jam within the healthcare system. We really think it's beneficial for employers to focus once again on that health of the employee. How do you take that proactive approach and encourage employees to really engage and understand their individual health and become that advocate for their individual health 
whether it's with in their own household, whether it's within their community, whether it's within the work environment, but how do you encourage employees to really manage that health, both on a short-term basis and a long-term basis? That could include from lowering, how do you support them in lowering their stress management? How do you encourage them to take that exercise or those extra steps on a day-to-day basis or create movement in their daily lives? How do you encourage healthy eating possibly? or better sleep patterns, or even how to socialize and not be isolated? How do you reconnect with friends and family and include that in a day-to-day living? We certainly are dealing with that now in terms of COVID. How are, as people come back to work, are we seeing people anxious about having to return to work and that working into mental health of employees? That's a great question. I think every individual is handling that, handling that a little bit different. Um, I know that there's many employers that their employees are significantly struggling with coming back to the office. Other places, their employees are excited to get back into the office and go, I really need that connectivity on a day-to-day basis. So I think we're seeing an extreme reaction as to how individuals are handling that. What I would say, though, is mental health is on the mind of many employers because that reaction is so extreme in the office. And very honestly, the stigma that used to sit around mental health is no longer there. It's been decreasing and decreasing and decreasing. So with the uplifting of the stigma on mental health um, and the most recent impact of the pandemic, we're hearing more and more about mental health and its outcomes in some of the new behaviors or trends that we're seeing as well. It's on a trajectory today to be a key chronic condition across all populations across the country. So it'll be very similar to your cancers and your heart diseases if we continue on today's trajectory. But we also know when we look at mental health that it's very significantly tied to someone's individual physical health too. So you can't separate that physical health and that mental health. We have to look at it in a very holistic way as we go forward. And it really encourages employers once again to foster and prioritize individual employee health, not just physical, but emotional as well. One of the things I keep hearing more and more about is this term precision medicine. What does that mean? And how do we see that come into workplace in terms of helping employees? The great thing about precision health is it really looks at the genetics of an individual, their environment, as well as the lifestyle in which that person lives. And then it takes a look at best practices of a very specific disease category or illness. And they say, when we overlay this genetic makeup, this environment, and this lifestyle on top of each other, what truly is the best treatment protocol for that individual? So instead of doing a cookie cutter approach and just looking at a best practice, it's really looking at that individual holistically, not just what physically is happening, but both genetically and environmentally and lifestyle and combining that to ensure that the right treatment is delivered to the right person at the right time. 
healthcare costs are rising, all costs are rising these days, in particular with inflation. But just in general, what are some of the things that really drive that cost of healthcare up for employers? When you look at it, straight off the top, you would go, oh, people must be utilizing the system more. <laughs> uh, in some cases, maybe, but generally, in fact, our usage is staying pretty flat today. There's not a lot of variance in usage. Where we really see the cost of healthcare increasing is around administrative costs, around labor or cost per good or unit, the growth and uses of, of technology. Unfortunately, we see system inefficiency and then really a lack of, in some cases, care coordination. So really that breakdown administratively of the healthcare system that are really the big drivers today of healthcare cost. Are there particular practices that companies can use to try to combat some of those issues? As employers, we can encourage our employees to go to the right place for care. And if we know that there are specific providers and or systems that excel in specific disease management exercises or protocols or best practices or a provider in a given region stands out as a really strong quality provider, we can encourage and direct our employees to go to those types of providers. We can also educate our employees on prevention, but not just prevention within the system and individually, but when and where to obtain that care. With that being said, um, that's a big call to know when and where to get care sometimes and how to obtain it. But we don't want people to progress in the system where their conditions can be out of control or it's going to be a level four treatment protocol. We want to catch things early. We want to keep individuals' quality of life as high as we can. We don't want them to all of a sudden find themselves with a disease that could have been prevented or managed earlier and have better outcomes. We want to drive for better outcomes and work with our employees to help make sure that they're going to the right place to drive those care. We also want to encourage our employees to really engage in their health care. Engagement at the employee side can make the difference in the experience. It can make the difference in the outcome. So consumers participating in the decision-making process of their own health care is super important. We can encourage our employees that when they do have to enter into the healthcare system, that they should always have an advocate with them. They shouldn't go at it alone. So that advocate should be either a friend or a family, or maybe they know an industry expert or someone who's in the industry that can actually support them. But utilize those resources. In some cases, employers actually providing those services as part of their benefits package. So really maximizing that advocacy benefit. We also encourage employees to be active in their community. The more active they are, the better th that they can help control their healthcare costs. But employers should also be active in their community when it comes to the delivery of healthcare. Finally, let me ask you, um, you know, we talked about employers and employees making choices. Do employers go to their employees now and say, what do you need from your healthcare? What do you need from healthcare? You know, what do you want from, we should go after to try to help you get, have better healthcare? So yes and no. There are a handful of employers that introduce and run their benefits by committee. 
And when they run their benefits for committee, they will actually have employees at all different levels in all different departments from all different regions and demographics actually participate on those committees so that employee voice is part of it. If an employer doesn't utilize that methodology, what we would encourage is an employer to really look at their data. They know what the data within their community is telling them about the health of their community, but they also have access usually to claims data. So they can actually look at the trends that are happening within that population that they're of service to. By looking at both of those data sets, they can then develop benefits as well as programs and resources around their specific population to meet the needs of their employees. Things that they can do is depending on their population, it may make sense to institute like exercise or stretch or meditation programs before, before the workday begins or at the beginning of the workday. But that's very employer specific. They can look at their benefits to say that based on the needs of their current population and maybe where they have excess claims or chronic conditions, they may want to introduce and implement a continuum of care protocols for specific disease categories to ensure that their employees are obtaining the best care possible, but not just the best care, but achieving the best outcomes on a day-to-day basis as they're coming out of the system. They may create very specific targeted communications based on regions and demographics because they know that and they're using data to drive those behaviors. They may be looking at their generational breakdown within their populations. Generationally, they can look at disease onsets. They can look at cognitive requirements within their population. They can look at psychological changes that occur across those generations, or even social environment changes that occur across generations. Each of those will then help an employer to encourage different behaviors within their population. In general, we'll see that an employer may, through education, encourage diets with high protein or low sugar or low saturated fats and sodium. They may advocate for regular physical activity or social socialization across the different generations of their population. But those are all steps that employers can take. Patty, thanks for a great inside look at the, both the side of the employers and the employees and what the Health Action Council does to help them both. We're glad you could join us today for the landscape. Thank you for having us. We're glad to have Patty Starr join us. She is the Health Action Council president and CEO of that organization, and she joined us for the landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Glad you could join us, and we'll talk again soon. Mm-hmm.